Please pray with me. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you finish the words of your revelation with a prayer. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a glimpse into your heart for eternity for each of us. You've given us a glimpse into the heart you have for your bride, your church, that she would be one, that we would be one with you, even as you are one with the Father. And Lord, I thank you that it is your doing. It is the fruit of your prayer, the fruit of your spirit, the fruit of your word, the, fr the fruit of your complete manifestation of the Father, that we can be one that we can endure, that we can have lives that are full of life and abundant life to the glory of your name. We are grateful, Lord Jesus. Amen. So you may have noticed that um, Captain John extinguished the, the Paschal candle, which is the symbol of the Lord's resurrection that was lit on Easter Vigil night. It's that first time when we realize that and we celebrate, remember that Jesus has defeated death and his light can no longer be extinguished. And it's a resurrection light and it's an inextinguishable light. So it's a little bit of an odd symbol that we would actually extinguish that Paschal candle. But what it's meant to um, evoke in us is an awareness that even though Jesus has passed from our physical sight, that he has in the presence of the Father taken our humanity and taken even our resurrected humanity, which he is the first fruits of, and he is there in a way that's invisible to the physical eyes but continues in the presence of the Father. And he's interceding for us. He's been describing that process as a good thing for us. I mean, the, the disciples, I think, are upset and he... He's been trying to reassure them. He spent the past um, many words, as John records it, trying to reassure them. They're going to feel some dismay because he's gone. In fact, they're in the middle of dismay because um, J Judas has just left the table. So the first part of the section that this is the end of, which is the, the section that includes the, the vine and all the discussion about him sending the helper, that's right after Judas has left. And so the disciples are kind of upset, like what's gonna happen here? And um, they're aware that maybe Judas is the one who's gonna betray. And he's saying, don't let you, don't, please don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And that's how he starts. I actually have a place for you. Your place is about to be disrupted from a worldly standpoint, but don't let your hearts be troubled. I've overcome the world. I have a place that I want you to dwell. I'm actually going to prepare it for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, um, you know, you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And you will know that I'm in the Father, you in me, and I in you. And it's a theme that he hits again and again and again in this section that you have a relationship and a connection to God that cannot be disrupted. And he uses an analogy, he talks about the fruit of the vine, that he's the vine and that we are the branches and if we're plugged into him, if we're locked into him and that life of his, his own divine life is flowing in us, we're gonna bear fruit. And sometimes he cuts back that fruit for the sake of more fruit. And he does it 
so that our joy would be full, and he even identifies that joy in this passage with his joy. He actually wants us to have his joy, and he wants it to be full. And he says all this stuff about the world coming against them, the fact that we're gonna have trouble, because he wants to keep us from falling away. He even says that you're gonna have an experience in the world where the people that you thought were your own who who identified as your brothers and sisters are gonna put you out of their synagogues. And that's the experience of the early church that John is actually writing to when he does his gospel. They're gonna put you out of the synagogues. You know, if they kill you, they, they think they're gonna do, be doing a service to you. And it's just because they've not recognized me, they've not recognized the Father. But I'm saying these things because I wanna reassure you. And I know it's making your heart f- be filled with sorrow for the moment, but your sorrow is gonna turn to joy. In a little while you will see me again and you will weep no more your sorrow will turn to joy. The thing that he says right before the passage that we read in the gospel this morning is a final word of disturbance, I would say. He says, behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone. The Father is with me. And I've said these things to you, (laughs) that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In me, you will have peace. So he's actually giving the disciples a lot of advance notice that things are gonna get really shaken up. Things are gonna be really disturbed. Your own heart's gonna be troubled. You're even gonna be scattered. He's talking to his faithful disciples. He's not even talking to the way he describes Judas as the son of perdition, the one who's destined for destruction because he's actually... Judas is living out of the father of lies. I mean, he's demonstrating that he's not living out of the truth. He's living out of a lie, and so he's bent on that lie, and it leads to destruction. He's not talking to Judas. He's talking to his disciples who end up discovering that they're actually his, and they're forever his, and they will always be his, and when the Spirit comes, he's gonna strengthen them to really live into that reality that they are his and they will remain his and they will endure despite future troubles in the world. So he finishes all of these words of reassurance not with more teaching. I've just done a really, really quick quick recap of the words that he's speaking directly to disciples. He finishes with a prayer that they get to overhear. It's not exactly clear where Jesus is doing this prayer. It's pretty clear that he's left the upper room Because at a certain point he says, let's depart from here. Rise, let us go from here, right before he gives the teaching on the vine and the branches. So possibly he's in the Garden of Gethsemane or part of the Garden of Gethsemane. Possibly John is hearing part of the prayers that the other disciples maybe have fallen asleep for. Because right after this prayer is the time when he's handed over to the the guards that are from the temple um, officials. And they come with torches and weapons for him right after this prayer. So this is really the last thing that the disciples hear Jesus saying before he goes to his suffering. The last thing that he wants us to know is to overhear him in a prayer. This is his final word to strengthen us, and it's a prayer to the Father. That's really instructive for us, isn't it? 
That the most powerful thing that Jesus wants to do when it comes to finishing his ministry before the ultimate expression of that in his body through his blood poured out, his body given up for us on the cross, the last thing that he wants to do is to pray. And that really caught my attention. It caught my attention especially because in this season of the ascension, that's really what the disciples are called to do. Jesus asks them to go to Jerusalem and they go to Jerusalem in the upper room, which is probably the home of John. I still want to say that. Some scholars think it's John's home. And because this is the year of John and I'm all about John, yes, I think it's his home. So anyway, they go to that upper room and they are orienting themselves the way Jesus is showing them how he's oriented himself. It's from a place that's transcendent. It's from a place of prayer. And he wants them to go and wait. And it doesn't just mean like they're twiddling their thumbs waiting. It means actually he wants them to go and pray and wait upon the coming of the Spirit in power. Because he wants them to bear fruit, but they can't bear fruit in and of themselves. They can't do anything, he says, in the vine teaching. They have to be in him. And they have to have the the divine sap flowing through them if they're going to bear fruit. So how how do they enter into this? Well, he's giving them a clue here. In fact, he's going to continue that way of being when he ascends himself. He's actually showing us, in some ways, he's actually already ascended. There's this very interesting verse here. I think it's in 17, 13. It says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Um, I I am not in the world, but I am coming to you. They are in the world. In a way, he's already in that place of transcendence. And his prayers, we always, I think, um, Steve, I I passed by when you were saying this to the class, is that we lift up our hearts to the Lord, but in a real way, we dwell with him. That's how Paul puts it. We live in that reality from above. He's actually showing us before he's ascended that even there in his humanity on earth, before he's ascended, that he's living from there. He's teaching us something. It it, it says he lifts up his eyes to heaven. He's orienting himself to the above. He says, Holy Father, in the section right before we read, all of this is part of his prayer. Holy Father, the one who's transcendent, the one who's completely other and yet very intimate. And we are given that same intimacy. So he's orienting himself from above, and he does it through prayer. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for these mine that you have given, these who are mine, who are yours, that you've given me. I thought that was interesting too. The way that he wants us to know that he's strengthening us is that he's praying for us. And he's praying for us, not for the world. And that, that seems a little bit contradictory because this was all for the sake of loving the world, right? He loves the world so much. But the way that he's going to be loving the world after he ascends is by us, is through us really being in him, through us really having his life flow through us, really having his Holy Spirit in us. It's through us that the church will continue to manifest the reality that he's been teaching. It's through the church, if we're faithful, and the apostles were faithful, they ended up being faithful, They maintained the faith. They maintained the truth. They didn't in any way deviate from it. And that's why we have this. 
The apostolic witness is that faithful witness and they maintained that faithfulness. And they did it in the power of the Spirit, not in their own strength. So he's really interceding for them so that they would be faithful and they would bear witness in the power of the Spirit. And he's saying it in the world, but he's no longer in the world. He's giving, and John, as he often does, he's giving us a peek into kind of an interior view of Jesus and where he's coming from. He wants us to enter into this interiority. Especially during this time between Ascension and Pentecost, he wants us to enter into this place of prayer that seeks God above and seeks him above who is yet our Father. He's an intimate one that we're related to. He's our dear Father. He's our Abba Father. And he's calling us to the same way of prayer. And he's speaking it to the Father in prayer, in the world, that we would have his joy fulfilled in ourselves. What is that joy? I mean, that joy, there's different ways that John talks about it. He talks about the Father's glory and having manifested the Father's glory. And that joy is really this intimate connection that Jesus has with the Father. So every word that Jesus has spoken is from the Father. They're the Father's words. And then he gives them to disciples. And he's kept them in the Father's word. And that is also the Father's glory emanating. These words are an expression of the presence of God. Think about it this way. Somebody was asking me, well, what about the Spirit of God? I mean, how do, what, what is the Holy Spirit like? And I said, well, it's the manifest personal presence of God, the invisible person presence of God to the church, right? And Jesus, when he's with them, he's the word, and he is the truth, and he keeps us in the word and in the truth by everything that he did, everything that he spoke. Like even right now, if you're really listening to me and if you're connecting to me, we're, getting, we're having a personal connection. We're having a communication right now. And so we're connected and there's a way in which we're sharing personal presence right now. We're being the body of Christ right now because hopefully I'm speaking the words of truth that are Jesus' words that were the words from the Father. And then we're taken up into that reality and we're in the presence. And even if you don't have the Spirit, if you're listening to these words and you're open to them and you're receiving them, they can give you some life. They're the words of life. But then when the Spirit comes, those words, they start to percolate up in you. And these scriptures start to shimmer with a divine reality. And they'll start to be even reminded to you in your, in your prayers. And they'll, they'll begin to manifest themselves with you, but not just with you, within you. That's one of the ways that Jesus talks about the Spirit. You have the Spirit with you, but you will have him within you. And that's part of what he's interceding for, is that when Pentecost comes and we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that means be completely suffused in the Spirit. That within our own conscience, within our own heart, the reality of these words will be so true for us that will be they'll be merging they'll be emerging within us they're transcendent they're recorded faithfully in the scriptures we do not depart from that witness but they will be so intimately known to us that we'll be taken into them we'll be in his presence we'll be connected in a powerful powerful way these are his words 
the Holy Spirit is going to minister to us Jesus' words, who are the words of the Father, and we're taken in to this divine communication, this divine communion. And I'm hinting at something here. It's not just words, is it? It's presence. Jesus is consecrating himself. He's setting himself completely aside to the Father, but he wants to consecrate us in this truth too. These aren't just words and it's not just information. It's actually the presence of God. He's praying for us to fully come into that same presence. That that presence would not just be without us, it would not just be through words, but it would be once again within us. And there would be a manifestation of that and a witness of that in our spirits because it's connected to his spirit. And this is how we have his joy fulfilled in us. It's not by having us taken out of the world of troubles. He does want to keep us from the evil one, but it's as he sanctifies us in this truth, this reality of who Jesus is. The last thing that he says is that in our passage is that as you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. How was he sent into the world? He was sent into the world never losing the presence of the Father. He was sent into the world never in in any sense absent from the Father's continuous conversation with him. And that's how he says he's gonna send us into the world. And he consecrates himself through the cross. And this is why he's a high priest, right? He makes a sacrifice and then he intercedes for us. That's what a high priest does. And this is his high priestly prayer. He invites us as a church to join him in that prayer from our side, if you will. So he consecrates himself, he makes the offering, and then he intercedes for us, and it's for the sake of a blessing upon us that we would be sanctified in that same truth, and it would be be a truth, not just informational truth, but it'd be a manifest truth made real in our lives and in our hearts. It would shape our feelings, it would shape our thoughts. It would come to mind in moments of trouble so that we would no longer scatter each to our own home. It's an interesting expression. Not our own home, but we would be rooted in his home. I think the the struggle for the church, like if you're truly baptized into Christ and truly baptized in the Holy Spirit, is not so much that you're gonna be like the son of perdition and betray the Lord, but mostly that you're gonna scatter to your own home and to your own thoughts and to your own ideas and to your own feelings and to your own economy. And what Jesus is saying is, I I want you to come into my thoughts and I want you to come into my feelings and my orientation and I'm going to shape you in such a way that you'll never be an orphan and you'll always belong. I'm gonna shape you in such a way that you will be one with me as I am with the Father. That as the Father is in me, I will be in you. As you are in me, as I am in the Father, I'm gonna bring you into this reality and I will never leave you alone. There's all sorts of ways that we can try and construct a home. And if it's just our home, it's gonna ultimately be pretty lonely. 
But if it's his home, it's an eternal home. It's a forever home. It's a home that, despite the shaking of the world, nobody can take it away. It's a place where you can belong forever. And that's the blessing that he gives. As he ascends, he ascends in a position of blessing with his arms out. That's the way the other Lucan account puts it. He's completely oriented to the Father, but he's also blessing us. He's completely interceding on our behalf so that we can enter into his joy. And he's inviting us to enter into that joy. And he's saying, this is my prayer for you. This is the final thing I want to say on this world. You get to overhear this prayer, but it's going on right now in the heavenlies. And I invite you into this way of being, into this way of prayer, into this place of transcendence, into this home that nobody can take away, in this home that none can shake. And it's your true home. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the true home that you give us. Lord, I thank you that it's a home forged out of a love that came through your blood and your body. I thank you, Lord, that it's a holy place that the evil one cannot touch. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us your Father who loves us and that you've given us yourself and your word that reveals everything we need to know to, to be in the family, to be like you and like your Father. Lord, I thank you too that now you've given us your spirit that we can actually keep your words. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided everything in word and in spirit, in spirit and in truth, in grace and in truth that we need in order to be with you and to have you within us even as you are in the Father. Lord, these are things that are hard to speak of and in a way, I, I can't speak of them but we can pray into them. As you've shown the disciples, the way into this is a way of prayer a way of seeking you in prayer where your first prayer forms our prayer, where your first love forms our love. And then our hearts are made one with yours, which is one with the Father. And it's animated by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you're forming in us not just another tribe, not just another ideological community, but you're forming in us a living body in your true home and that we are part of the household of God now. Lord, I pray that we would so live into this reality and that you would so inspire prayers in us in the next seven days, in these remaining seven days of the upper room period, that we would be ready to receive your spirit once again in power that we would be ready once again to have you suffuse our minds and to suffuse our feelings, to shape our intentions, Lord, that we would be that strong community that the early church was. And our words would be your words, which are the words of the Father, and the Spirit would bring conviction to us and to the world, and our unity in you would be so manifest that they would really know that we are yours. Lord, make us shine with this light, your church, light of Christ. Make us shine with this faithful light, unhindered, unshaded by any interference for the glory of your name, for the glory of your Father. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.